Hello, good morning. Hello, Harry at home. Um, today we are talking about the spiritual discipline of celebration. So if you've got your Bible, if you could turn to Exodus 15, um, that's where we'll be um, most of the time, um, but we'll probably bounce around a little bit as well. So that's Exodus 15. So one of the topics that I teach every year in P5 is ancient Egypt. And I don't really like teaching that topic. I don't really know why. I can't really put my finger on it. I just really don't like ancient Egypt. However, there's one thing that I do really like about it. And that is whenever I teach ancient Egypt, I get to teach the story of Moses alongside it and the Israelites. And always at the end of the topic, um, I like to put on this movie. It's a DreamWorks movie from the 90s depicting Moses and it's called The Prince of Egypt. You might have seen it. And in the movie, there's this scene whenever the Israelites have been granted permission to leave Egypt. And again, whenever they cross the Red Sea, they sing this song called When You Believe. And I'm pretty sure Mariah Carey has covered it. But in the original song in the movie, um, in the bridge, the children of Israel are singing in Hebrew. And I've never really known what the words meant, but that scene has always given me goosebumps, even as a child. And even though I haven't understood the language, I've always known that there was something really special going on. And whenever I looked into it further, I realized that they were actually singing words straight out of Exodus 15, celebration unto God. So let's look at Exodus 15. Then the Mo Moses and the Israelites sang this song to God. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers has drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them and they sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. This is a spontaneous and powerful song that occurred when Moses and the Israelites looked back at what God had done. Spurgeon said, this is the first of those sacred songs preserved in scripture and in some respects, it's the first in merit as well as in time. They were singing to the Lord. If you look at verse one, it says, I will sing to the Lord. They weren't celebrating what they had done, but what God had done. There was no mention of Moses or Aaron or Miriam or anyone else. It was worship. And worship and celebration go hand in hand. And how often in our modern culture do we celebrate ourselves and our own successes. How many of our successes do we actually attribute to God? How often do we look back and say, wow God, look what you did there. So I want to unpack three parts of celebration today, and that is joy, thanksgiving, and obedience. So let's look at joy first. At the very beginning of Exodus 15, the people were absolutely overflowing with joy. It was oozing out of them. And if you look for a definition of joy in the dictionary, 
it tells you that it is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But if this is true joy, then it's unsustainable. I don't know about you, but I am not happy all the time. Nobody can be happy all the time. Yet over and over in his letters, Paul tells the church to rejoice always. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commanded his followers to rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Joy is essential. It's a command. It's not just a desirable criteria on a tick list for following Jesus. So if joy is a command, then it's not optional. And so it must be possible. Rick Warren better defines joy as the settled assurance that God is in control of all of the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So joy is not just a fuzzy feeling, it's a choice. It's knowing that God is sovereign and choosing to trust that he knows what he's doing, praising him in every circumstance, no matter what. In verse 2, in the ESV, it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. Notice that it says, The Lord is my strength. Not God gives me strength. He is my strength. And whenever we let God be our strength, he will also be our song. Whenever we give him control, then we have reason to rejoice. We trust in his faithfulness. We sing in celebration of his victories, past, present and still to come. We have joy in knowing that he will never let us down. Letting God be our strength will well up joy within us. In Romans 15 verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you think of a container of water, if it's to be continually overflowing, it needs to be continually filled or the overflowing will stop. A waterfall, if it doesn't have a river running into it, will stop overflowing. And the joy of the Israelites stopped very, very quickly. If you go on in chapter 15 to verse 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Three days had passed since the Israelites had seen one of the greatest miracles of all time. They had seen God part the sea and drown their enemy. Three days. And already they had forgotten what God had done and his promises of faithfulness. And ironically, the place that they had come to was called bitter, for not only was the water bitter, but the people had become bitter. God had not led them down an easy path. He had led them to a place where the water was undrinkable. And three days in the desert without water is the physical limit of the human body. So when pushed to their limit, literally, God's people were without joy. Three days previously, the Egyptians were absolutely drowning in water, and here were the Israelites crying out for it. Then they finally find water, and it's undrinkable. It almost seems cruel. So what does God do? Look at verse 25. 
Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. So God knew exactly what his people wanted and what they needed, and he provided for them. So the people of Israel had seen two miracles within the space of three days. So you would think at that point, that is when the joy would come. But if we flick on to Exodus 16, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. God's people had seen two miracles already. He parted the sea and he turned undrinkable water into fresh water. They weren't even two months out of Egypt. And here they were grumbling again. So why were the Israelites grumbling so much? Because they were preoccupied with self. They were scared, they were thirsty and they were hungry and they did not have their eyes fixed on the one who would sustain them and give them strength to overflow with joy. John Ortberg says, Often the things that keep me from experiencing joy is my preoccupation with self. Whenever we look inwardly, our joy diminishes very, very quickly. I am not a morning person at all. And when I wake up with dread, thinking of all of the things that I have to do today, it's very, very difficult to rejoice and go into my day with joy. But whenever I wake up and position myself at the feet of Jesus and draw strength from him, then I have the grace and joy that I need to face the day, no matter what is ahead of me. Whenever we're upset and things don't go our way, it's far too easy to turn to worldly pleasures to soothe our wounds. It might be food, drink, Netflix, sleep, exercise, you fill in the blank. And these things will bring temporary pleasure and they will cheer us up and help us to hide away from the things that are bothering us for a while. But they do not bring true lasting joy. They'll leave us unsatisfied just looking for another temporary high. They don't build up our strength to help us face the next defeat. If we look at Nehemiah, chapter 8, in verse 9, the law was being read to the people. And at verse 9, it says, Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send home some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. In this passage, the people were grieving and crying as the law was being read to them. They were feeling sorry for themselves. Nehemiah's response was to send them to eat 
and to drink and to celebrate because he knew that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. Richard Foster says celebration brings joy into life and joy makes us strong. Israel's calendar revolved around celebration where they could look back at the goodness of God and celebrate his faithfulness. Like Passover where they could celebrate their liberation from slavery or Purim where they could celebrate freedom from the oppression of Haman amongst many other celebrations. And the Christian calendar is quite similar. It revolves around celebrations such as Christmas or Easter or even harvest time. And these are all great, but we need to be continually rejoicing in the Lord. It didn't take the Israelites very long to forget God's faithfulness. Three days. And they forgot it over and over and over again. Continually we hear about the people complaining and grumbling. The philosopher Nietzsche said about Christians, maybe I would have believed in a redeemer if the Christians had looked more redeemed. People around us are watching us and they will look at us to see how we react to different situations. If we are choosing to rejoice and if we truly believe in the future joy, then we can be thankful in all circumstances. One of John's disciples, Arrhenius, said, The glory of God is the human being, fully alive, and the life of the human consists in beholding God. Don't I give God most glory when I am fully alive? By choosing to rejoice, we are bringing God glory and celebrating his goodness. The second aspect of this that I want to look at today is thankfulness. And the Canadian author Anne Voskamp has written a whole book on thankfulness. It's called 1000 Gifts. And in the book, Anne says, it is the art of gratitude that makes joy possible. There's a Greek word in the Bible that is used for thanks, and it is the word eucharisteo. It contains the word charis, meaning grace, which is why we say grace before we eat. And charis is derived from the word kara, which means joy. So at the very heart of thanksgiving is joy. And we know that joy is a command in order to live the fullest life. We spend our lives chasing after it. But deep cara joy is found in thanksgiving. Back in Genesis, whenever the fall occurred, it occurred because joy and thanksgiving had ceased. When Adam and Eve took their eyes off God and began looking at self, the deadly result of this was that they were no longer able to live fully alive. Matthew Henry wrote about how he was once robbed of his wallet. And this actually happened to me once, a very long time ago. My bag was stolen at the library. And I would like to say that my response was a very joyful one, but it probably wasn't. My response was firstly um, to become a bit of a G.I.G. and run and get it back, which I did. But then I felt sorry for myself and I cried for the rest of the afternoon at how this could happen to me. And then I got the police because I wanted to make sure that this man paid for what he did to me. Me, me, me. It was all about me. But Henry's response was very, very different. He wrote in his diary that he was thankful that first... He had never been robbed before. That second, though they took his wallet, they did not take his life. 
Third, because even though they took it all, it wasn't very much. And finally, because he was the one who was robbed and not the one who did the robbing. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus healed 10 lepers. And this is a really popular Sunday school lesson. And it always comes with a wee moral on the tagline about saying thank you and having good manners. And this is a good moral and it's a good thing to teach. But there is so much more to this story than just that. Only one leper returned to say thank you. A Samaritan, probably the most unlikely one. And he didn't just politely say thanks. He didn't send a card or a box of celebrations. He shouted, glorifying God, falling flat on his face. The others went and did the necessary religious ritual by going to see the priest. But this man let thanksgiving overflow from the joy within him, resulting in worship. Spurgeon said, external religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing it is. Nine obey the ritual, but only one praises the Lord. The one leper that had returned had much more than just good manners. All of the lepers were physically healed, regardless of their manners. But whenever the one returned, he gained so much more than just physical health. Jesus said to the leper, We're not all cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. When the one leper returned to give God praise for his physical healing, he also received spiritual healing. All of the lepers were healed, but only one received a full life when he returned to give thanks. In order to live the fullest of lives, we need to have joy and thanksgiving at the very heart of everything we do. And throughout the Gospels, there are examples of Jesus giving thanks to the Father. If we look at John chapter 11, Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus and there is grief all around him. Lazarus was dead and the people were crying. If we look at verse 41, we see what Jesus did. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus gave thanks to the Father and after he gave thanks, then the miracle happened and Lazarus was raised from the dead. And in John chapter 6, whenever Jesus is given the loaves and the fish, in verse 11, it says, Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So again, the miracle came after he gave thanks. Anne Voskamp comments that thanksgiving always precedes the miracle. And every week in church, we begin our service with our Eucharist, our thanksgiving to Jesus for his grace by sharing the bread and the wine. And I love this because we're setting ourselves up for the week ahead with a heart of thanksgiving. When Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples, he set the precedent for thanksgiving over a meal. No longer was it reserved for the significant celebrations, 
but he was bringing it right into the heart of the everyday. And what is more everyday than a meal? In my job as a teacher, I often get gifts from the children and I am truly thankful for every gift that I have ever been given. But it's funny that the children's response whenever they give you a gift. Some children are totally mortified that they've been told by their parents to give you a gift and they come in and they sort of throw it at you and say, my mum told me I had to give you that. But I have this one gift that was particularly special and it came in my really early years of teaching and it came from a 10 year old girl. I had taught her for two years and she had very, very little in terms of worldly possessions. But she saved her last two pounds from her birthday money and she used it to buy me a best teacher mug. And it's not a fancy mug by any stretch of the imagination and it's definitely not the prettiest mug that I have either. But it is most precious to me because it came from a place of real and true gratitude. God doesn't want an occasional half-hearted thank you prayer every now and then when we remember but real and true gratitude that comes from a place of joy, real cara joy. Joy cannot be forced or it will be merely superficial. It's like a child being made to say thank you for something that they're really not that grateful for. We are commanded to have a spirit of thanksgiving in all situations. In school, we have this thing every month called special assembly. And it's an assembly which is unlike no other. It is specifically for celebrating successes and achievements that have happened over the past month. There's certificates, there's prizes, they're clapping, and we even have our own school rap. We're pretty proud of it. The only way we can describe it is joy giving. Everybody leaves special assembly with a smile. Do we need to have more special assemblies celebrating the things that God has done in our lives? God has given us so many blessings to celebrate and we need to be continually approaching him with sincere gratitude. Once a month is not enough. Christmas and Easter are not enough. The Israelites forgot God's goodness in three days. Paul tells the Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances. And the final part of celebration that I want to unpack is obedience. There are times in life when we have to persevere through difficult situations and this requires obedience to God, trusting in his future promises of joy. If we go back to Exodus 15 and we look at verse 26, God said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his degree, decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Following the miracle, God had turned the bitter water into drinkable water, and following this miracle, God is now issuing a command to his people for obedience. He knew what was ahead of them. He knew that there would be so many ups and downs and the true nature of the Israelites would be revealed through their obedience and their obedience would bring healing. Walking up the mountains is tough. It's mucky, it's often rainy and there's always a risk of getting hurt or getting lost 
and you can bet that your legs will ache the next day and the next day and maybe again the day after that. So why on earth would you do it? Because when you get to the top of the mountain and you see the breathtaking view, the joy completely surpasses the pain of having to climb the mountain. And whenever I look back in life at the things that I have given up on and haven't persevered with, there's one common factor, and it's a lack of joy. Anyone who masters a new skill must have joy in the process. A world-class pianist doesn't get to where they are if they don't find joy in the music. They'll never get past the years of endlessly practicing scales, perfecting timing, and getting it wrong over and over again. Joy is like the motor that keeps us going. Without it, we cannot withstand the difficult situations or stand up to opposition. Again, as Nehemiah told the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Israelites were commanded to work the land for six years, and then the land was to have a, seventh, or a Sabbath year. And after seven cycles of seven years, so after 49 years, the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. You can read about it in Leviticus 25. And it was a year when the land got a rest, when slaves were freed, when property was redeemed. The joy of the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee must have been a huge driving force for the Israelites during the years of toil and labour. And then in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus came to redeem us, to fulfil all of the prophecies. So what do we have to look forward to? In God's word, it tells us that we have the full free gift of forgiveness, that our needs will be provided for while here on earth, that God will complete the work that he began in you. You will be raised from the dead. Soon you will see Jesus and be with him. In that day, we will know full unpolluted joy and we have God forever as our exceeding joy. Those are just some of them, but this book is full of promises of things that will give us joy. Life is not always easy. And we aren't exactly promised an easy life. Joy is not always about feeling good, nor can it be cultivated by just trying to be optimistic. It often comes hand in hand with suffering, with sorrow and with pain. Joy comes when we keep our eyes fixed on the kingdom. There are so many promises in this book which give us the joy, the motor to keep on going, persevering and obeying. The Israelites had to take a huge leap of faith whenever they celebrated the year of Jubilee. They weren't to work their land and they had to trust that God would use their unworked land to yield enough produce for them to actually survive. They had to trust that those that they owed debts to would be fair and wouldn't take advantage of them. And when they genuinely, joyfully trusted in God's provision, they were able to set their mind on the higher things and celebrate the goodness of God. The Philippians were told to rejoice in the Lord always. 
I read an article recently about a guy who lived and served in Liberia during the, cent the centre of the Ebola crisis. And when he was talking about joy and hardship, he said, in these dark moments, remembering God and his joy gives us strength. During his time, this time, so many people are finding their way to him. Every church is packed. The worship celebrations have been magnificent. Even when it feels impossible, he can give us a joy that passes understanding because it is anchored in faith. Rejoicing in every situation won't magically rescue us from every dark and undesirable situation. There will still be opposition. There will still be undesirable diagnoses, world pandemics, broken relationships, etc., etc., etc. But purposeful celebration helps us look beyond the immediate suffering. It binds us together and transforms us into more grateful people and it gives us a hope for the future. Jesus, when he was giving the Last Supper, was giving thanks to the Father, even though he knew exactly what he was about to face. He could have made excuses. He could have ran in another direction. But instead, he chose to turn to the Father in thanksgiving, thanking him for the very thing that would break him. John Bloom, one of the Desiring God authors, commented that Jesus' Eucharist was fueled by his belief in future grace. He was able to look beyond the suffering and look to the future through the lenses of hope. In the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it talks about how God gives us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch watchmaker during World War II and she knew what it was to face suffering with joy. She and her family had hid many Jews from the Nazis and eventually got caught where she was brought to prison and she was put in solitary confinement for three months. Following a trial, she was then brought into a concentration camp where she held daily worship services using a Bible that she had smuggled in. She was then released because of what she later found out was actually a clerical error and she was actually supposed to go to the gas chamber. In, a, in her book, Amazing Love, she says, can we rejoice in the resurrection life without having been crucified with Christ? If we are to rejoice in every situation, there is no exception. We can't say, God, I'll rejoice and praise you in that situation, but I don't really feel like it in that situation. And that's what makes celebration a spiritual discipline, because it's not just turning to God after a rush of fuzzy feelings, but choosing to rejoice despite the roller coaster of feelings inside us. Corey Ten Boom said, This I do know, that we are living far below the level of what we are in Christ. How can this be? Is it perhaps that we do not really want to lose our lives for Christ's sake? If we want to save our lives, we shall lose them. When we choose to celebrate with joy, thankfulness, and obedience, that is when we will live the fullest of lives. I don't want to live an empty life and I don't want to wade somewhere in between empty and full. I want a full life. So how do we celebrate? We can sing like the Israelites in Exodus 15. We can dance like David in 2 Samuel 6. We can shout, there's laughter, there's creativity. 
We've got big festivals such as Christmas and Easter. In Esther 9, whenever the Jews were set free from the oppression of Haman, they rested, they feasted, and they gave gifts. In verse 22, it says, it was a time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, a month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. Mordecai wrote to them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. This exuberant celebration was a cathartic release from the dark days of fear and oppression. We need to celebrate the huge victories. They are significant. But we also need to continually celebrate the little victories and the blessings. Let's not be like the Israelites who forgot God after three days. Striving after God and being obedient in spiritual disciplines can be exhausting. So can you imagine prayer, meditation, fasting, worship, service without joy? We need that motor to keep us going through the highs and lows of life. Celebration is healing, it's refreshing and it's rejuvenating. It gives us a chance to look back at what God did in a time of obedience. Richard Foster said that celebration gives us the strength to live in all the other disciplines. So it is the underpinning factor to all the disciplines. This year, our school year ended quite abruptly and there were none of the usual celebratory events. There's no sports day, no end of year parties, no leaver show, no prize giving. And it still feels like something is missing. There's been no closure to the year. There's been no joy. Celebration unifies people and it multiplies joy. We need it. We need to be purposeful in striving after it. Gareth Gilkinson from Wren Collective said, joy is a spiritual discipline. We as a people are much more inclined towards negativity and cynicism. We don't find it easy or natural to pursue joy. And that's why God in his word actually commands us to celebrate. We come by a gospel worth celebrating before a celebrating king. We need to get down to this serious business of joy. We must wrestle for our blessing. We must fight for our joy. We need to begin each day with a stance of celebration, with our eyes fixed on him. The psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, today. Rejoice today. If we spend our lives dwelling on the past joys, then we'll miss the present joys. And if we spend our lives waiting for future joy, it will never come. Today is the day. Rejoice today. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a good God. And I thank you that you made us to celebrate. I thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so God, as we go into another week, I pray that you will be our strength, that you will highlight the areas of our lives where we need to have more joy, that you would help us to be more thankful and that you would give us the strength that we need to be obedient to you. I pray that you would be 
the driving force and the motor as we go into this week and help us to face all circumstances with joy. Thank you for the beautiful weather that we had today and I pray that you would be with us as we go into the, into the day and celebrate the good things that you have given us. In your name, amen. Thank you.